could please stand for the word of God. <clears throat> Today we're going to read Second uh, Thessalonians 1, 1 through 12, and in the blue Bibles on the back of the chairs, that's page 575. If you do not have a Bible at home and you would like one, please feel free to take one of these with you. <clears throat> Hear the word of the Lord. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions, and in the afflictions that you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with afflictions those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted, as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in the flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Thus says God's word. Pray with me, please. Father, we thank you for your word, the power that it contains, the truth that it gives to us, the hope that flows from it like a fountain, Lord. We thank you for all of these things. Lord, as we stand here at the at the precipice of a, of a brand new year with all kinds of plans and joys and and unknown things lord that that we anticipate and even some that we may fear lord we just ask that you would over all this year over all of 2023 that you would be glorified lord that this would be a a year of of god's great name being exalted in our city and in our church and in each individual family and in each individual Lord, that we would be a people who would exalt you in ways that would bring your great name, the glory that you are due. And so, Lord, we just ask you to be with us, to open our minds and our hearts, our spirits to hear and receive and to implement your word. Lord, we pray that you would assist me as I speak it, Lord, as as I am painfully aware of the frailty of this vessel, Lord. And so I, I pray that you would just, uh, uh, God, be my, my strength and my right arm as I share this word with your people. And God, we thank you for all your good gifts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Well, Happy New Year, everybody. 
I enjoyed last year with you, and I'm looking forward to this year with you. It's going to be great. We um, um, have so many things that that we can be thankful for this year, and and um, uh, I hope that that's the 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 posture that you're in this morning is a is a, a, a attitude of thankfulness for all of God's good gifts last year and anticipating His goodness, His mercy to still be uh, available for you this year and, and that you would remember that His grace is sufficient for whatever you may be facing this year. Um, if you don't mind, before I start, I want to just remind you that next week we'll be receiving our fourth quarter missions offering um, to support our missionaries around the world. I think right now, I didn't look, but I think we're somewhere around $2,000 we still need to raise. So if you would plan right now to make the most generous offering, and you can give it if you give on the app, especially you can give it any time between now and next Sunday, but we'd like to, to uh, receive all of that by next Sunday so we can write our checks to our missionaries and, and make sure that they can continue the good work that they're doing around the world. Um, and uh, and so we need your help to be able to do that. And so if you would just uh, plan on that, set something special aside so we can reach that goal and, um, and provide uh, by the grace of God for the needs of our missionaries. And on that note, I want to tell you, we had just, again, by the, by the providence of God, um, our missionary, Wes White, um, who is our missionary to Africa, he goes to several countries in Africa and, and uh, trains pastors there. He is going to be with us next week. It just happened to, to fall that way. And so I want you guys to get to meet Wes. Um, to be completely honest with you, uh, we've only talked to him on the phone and through Zoom type of things, and we've never met him face to face, so we're all looking forward to that as well. But we want you to get to meet him and to hear about his awesome ministry there in Africa. Um, and so please make plans to be here next week. Well, we have, um, as I mentioned at the beginning, we've arrived at the gateway of a brand new year. And for some of us, that reset, that fresh start, causes us to be filled with hope as we're anticipating good things in store. Uh, some of you might be looking forward to a job advancement or the furthering of a romantic relationship. You might be looking forward to retirement at this time of the year. You might be looking forward to starting or even better yet, finishing school. Um, others you are uh, of you are entering 2023, and I realize this, and I want to acknowledge this. Others of you are entering 2023 with, with maybe a little bit of anxiety, maybe some trepidation. You are wondering if in this year your health is going to hold up. You're wondering if in this year your finances are going to hold up. You may be nervous about the political future. You may be worried about relationships in your own circle that are fracturing right now. And so this is a time when considering the lot that we're left with at the end of the old year, we make resolutions in order to improve the outcomes of the coming year. And for some of us, that'll include joining a gym or starting a brand new diet. Others will pledge to save more money or take up a new hobby. Others will commit, this is the year I'm going to stop smoking. This is the year I'm going to stop cussing so much. And this fresh start that a new year represents, it almost compels us to take a thorough inventory of the last year and plan to make some changes. Now, 
While we all have done that, we've also all probably experienced how difficult that can be. Amen? The gyms that will be jam-packed throughout January and February will be largely empty by March. The low-carb, low-fat diets will give way to the convenience of the drive through window on a busy night. And so with all of this reality and all of this common experience that we have with planning those changes and failing in those changes, you might ask, what is the ingredient for success in a New Year's resolution? Well, good news. I have no idea. I couldn't tell you. I've tried and failed many in my own lifetime. The most disappointing flops that I have experienced involve commitments that I made concerning my spiritual life. You know what I'm talking about, right? Those Bible reading plans. I'm going to read the Bible through all the, uh, all, you know, in one year. And by the time I hit Leviticus, it kind of falls apart. The realization that Surplus time to pray in the new year is just as hard to come by as it was in the ending year. Can anybody here relate to this at all? But does the difficulty in securing personal growth release us from the responsibility to pursue it? If we're diligently, if we are to diligently seek to change, and I believe we are, I believe that's biblical, what is the best way to approach this task? And and more important question, I think, is what should be our motivation to even want to improve our spiritual lives in 2023? So I want to explore this with you this morning. And let me just say this. Let me. It's kind of the elephant in the room. It would be easy for me to stand here from my lofty position behind this pulpit and say, you should pray more in 2023. You should read your Bible more in 2023. You should witness more in 2023. And you, like clockwork, would respond, no kidding, Sherlock, so should you. And you would be right. But I think if we can, for a moment, just consider our calling to grow. Did you know that your your growth is not um, something that is a choice? And it's not something that is a compulsion at the edge of a sword. Your growth, your maturity, your increasing in holiness is actually a calling. That God has called you to come up higher, to to go further. But if we consider our calling to grow, and more importantly, as I said, our motivation to do so, I'm thinking that we might just discover the power we seek to actually do so. Now, we looked at that passage in 2 Thessalonians today, and when Paul begins this second letter to the Thessalonians, he thanks God, and he thanks God because in his words, your faith, meaning their faith, your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Now, pay attention to that. Paul indicates by two words, growing and increasing, that the Thessalonian church is not stagnant. Rather, they're pressing forward. They're maturing in holiness. They're enlarging in their sacrificial love towards one another. 
If we were to state what Paul has just said in alternative words about this Thessalonian church, we would say that the Thessalonians are being sanctified. Now, you may not be familiar with that word, but sanctification is the cooperative work between God and Christians. It speaks to the ways in which we as believers are being changed, as the Bible puts it, from one degree of glory into another degree of glory until we arrive at the holy image of Christ. Now, when I say it's a cooperative work, I mean that while no Christian has ever been sanctified by their own efforts, God has never zapped anyone into into instantaneous holiness. Whereas our justification, what I'm talking about is, is the moment you were, as we often say it, were saved. Your justification is accomplished by God's working alone. He does it all by himself. Sanctification occurs when believers work together with God through the calling to obedience. The Christian's role in sanctification is like this. This is why I say it's a cooperative effort. As a Christian, you have some responsibilities in your sanctification. And they are these, to diligently pursue sanctification by thoroughly reading and seeking to understand and discern the meaning and studying Scripture. You do it by petitioning for God's help in prayer. You do it by aggressively putting to death sin in your life. And you do it by saying yes to the Holy Spirit's intervention and guidance in our lives as He is working to make us more like Jesus. But all of this would be just religious ritual if it was done in our own effort. What we need is God's role in our sanctification. Because, see, it's God who initiates, always. You never initiate sanctification. God does. It's God who initiates. It's God who maintains the process. How does he do it? By convicting us of sin. By empowering us through the agency of the indwelling Holy Spirit. By making us both willing and able to accomplish his good pleasure in our lives. One thing a Christian never says is, I can't. Because it's you're right in yourself, in your own effort, your own strength, you can't. But the Holy Spirit has been given to you the the gift of God, the seal of your redemption to enable you to, to do God's good pleasure. And that should take a load off. That should make you feel so relieved that, that you have been empowered by God to obey him. Sanctification, so that, therefore, happens through a reliable combination of daily grace being poured into our lives by God and persistent faithfulness on our part. See, what I'm saying is, on God's part, he never fails to perfectly provide sufficient grace for our every need, for our every struggle, for our every calling to grow. Now, we continually falter in our efforts to maintain our faithfulness. And so because of this, in our sanctification, we have to look, we have to cast our gaze dependently on God and not on ourselves, not on our own efforts, if we're if this is ever going to work. So the synergism 
between God and believers in sanctification is articulated beautifully by the Apostle Paul again in Philippians chapter 2. This is what he says, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, pause right there, what is the key issue here? The key issue is what? It's obedience. It's, it's the exertion of, of the will to do what has been commanded. It's obedience. And in the light of that obedience, this last clause, Paul says this, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, if you're new to the theology that Northridge Life Church embraces, the Reformed theology, that might make you a little nervous. You don't like the idea of working out your salvation. You have heard, rightly, that salvation is a work of God, not a work of man under any condition ever. No, no contribution from man, only the work of God. But what I want you to assure you is that Paul does not mean here, when he says work out your own salvation, he doesn't mean that we earn salvation by our works. What he means, it's the, it's the picture of someone taking a lump of dough and putting a little pinch of yeast in there and then working that yeast into the dough to go to every bit of it. So the entire lump is, 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 you know, leavened. It's, it's got the yeast in it. He means that we should diligently work to apply the salvation that we didn't earn, that's been given to us as a free gift from God, to apply that salvation to every area of our lives, making it manifest in our relationships, making it manifest in our attitudes, making it manifest in our work, making it manifest in our marriage, in our parenting, and yes, even in our religion. But the problem is, that many Christians, and I'm certain that you know some like this, you may be some like this, we're all at some point some like this. Many Christians have a salvation that is only religion deep. Their religion never affects their attitudes, it never affects their work, it never affects their parenting or their relationships. It's only religion deep. It works great on Sunday morning. Not so well Monday through Saturday. I know you're, we're not talking about you, so just relax, but does anybody know anybody like that? Anybody? But see, Paul is calling us higher. He's calling us to live out our faith in such a way that every visible and invisible aspect of our lives is impacted by the fact that we've been redeemed by Jesus. Ask yourself this question this morning. Does the fact that you've been redeemed by Jesus make a difference in your visible life? When people see you, do they ask, as the Bible says, questions about the hope that lies within you? Because the evidence that is visible to the whole world and probably a more important question is, Is your redemption by Jesus evident in your invisible life? Is it evident in the websites you visit? Is it evident in the way you speak to your wife or to your husband? In the ways that you are either diligently or negligently raising your children? When no one sees, 
Is your redemption by Jesus evident? Knowing our frailty, and I have plenty of that, more than most of you could understand, knowing our frailty, this could seem to be a daunting requirement to work out our own salvation. Oh my goodness. How on earth? But in the very next verse, verse 13, Paul tells us something wonderfully encouraging. See, I can work out my salvation because of this reality. It is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Do you you understand what you just read? It's God who puts the want to in you. God is working in you to will to do his will. And then he doesn't stop there. He doesn't leave you with the unfulfilled desire. And we're here, we hear here in this verse that God works in us to do his good pleasure. Not just to want to, not to walk away unsatisfied with unfulfilled desires to please him, but he gives us the, the ability to do it. Man, if you have nothing else that can carry you all the way through 2023, just knowing that. The Thessalonians exerted themselves to know the truth and to search out the deep mysteries of the gospel. They did not look at their belief in Christ as something that simply punched their ticket to heaven, but rather something that reframed all of their lives. From their decision-making processes to their leisure choices, everything. They were moving from a self-governed life to a life submitted to Christ's lordship. Who governs your life this morning? Not not what you say on Sunday mornings in a worship service. Who really governs your life? Who makes the decisions? Are you held captive to the words and the dictates of the word of God? Or do you demand your rights and demand to be heard and demand to to have what's coming to you? Can I tell you what happens to people who demand what's coming to them? Eventually they get it. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'll let you figure that out on your own. In verse 4 of the passage we read, Paul says, Therefore we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. They were so serious about living for God that their steadfastness and their faith were highlighted even under persecution. They could have made excuses and said, man, this is really tough. Surely God will give us, will understand if we can't just, you know, have the best attitude under the things we're suffering. No, instead of fleeing trouble or avoiding hardship, they, they, they shined in the midst of it. Threats to their safety prom, prompted them to press in to the comfort and hope of Christ's salvation and the promise of his second coming and his earthly reign. It, it fueled them. It made them stronger. And, and can I just say to you, church, it's good for us, especially right now at the beginning of a brand new year, it's good for us to assess ourselves as we live in a time when the level of persecution that the Thessalonians were experienced is completely unknown to us. None of us 
are under threat of being arrested right now because we're worshiping the Lord. None of us. None of us are, are in danger of, of having the government come and shut down our church at this point. Maybe someday, but not now. And so if that's true, it's not, I'm not saying because God has graciously put you in this time that you're less than the Thessalonians or the big heroes because they suffered. No, what I'm asking you is, I do know that you suffer trouble and, and hardship, but how do you bear up under your own sufferings? No matter what they are, how do you bear up under them? When things get tough, do you charge God with unfairness or injustice? Or have the hard times that you're experiencing right now, have they driven you deeper into the realization of God's nearness and of his sovereignty? Paul emphasized for the Thessalonians that God was present and in charge regardless of the raging of their enemies. Listen to it again. Beginning at verse 5. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may consider worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. Paul says, God sees you hanging on Thessalonians. God sees your steadfastness. And he points to the evidence that God is clearly in control since he's granting them the grace to endure their persecutions and to bring him glory. This is going to be more vividly seen, he says, when God vindicates them before their enemies by receiving his saints into his eternal kingdom as he casts the wicked into hell. He says that through faith and endurance, experienced and expressed in deep persecution, they will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God. I want you to just, a few seconds, meditate on that phrase. Considered worthy of the kingdom of God. And the reason a phrase like that tucked into scripture is so important because it's so radically different from what the vast majority of modern American evangelicals consider makes them worthy of the kingdom. They consider that they're worthy of the kingdom because they once prayed a prayer or underwent a baptism or joined a church or anything like that. Regardless of the fact that in their life there's a total lack of enduring hardship for Christ and often little evidence of transformative faith, And my fear is that many who are most confident that they're worthy of the kingdom of God at present will find little security to be had in their lowest common denominator brand of Christianity when they stand before God's judgment throne. Paul returns in the end of the chapter to the theme of being worthy of the noble calling of being a Christian, a disciple of Jesus Christ. 
God's work in the, prog- in the progress of sanctification is emphasized here, and yet we still see the human contribution as well. Let's look at it, beginning verse 11. To this end, we always pray for you, that our God will make you worthy of his calling, there it is again, and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you, and you in him, according to the grace of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul prays, again, that God would make them worthy of his calling by an exercise of God's own grace. But he prays, catch this, see God's responsibility, human responsibility. He prays that the Thessalonian resolve for good and every work of grace would be fulfilled. Now here's my question to you. Who's doing the resolving? Who's doing the working? It's the Thessalonian church. But without the grace granted that Paul prays for for them, it would amount to nothing but vain religious effort. And what I want you to notice mostly in that passage we just read is the ultimate purpose that Paul puts forth. He says, I'm praying for this, that you'd be worthy of the kingdom, that every resolve for good and and work of grace will be fulfilled for this reason, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him. See, unlike a lot of us, The Thessalonians aren't striving for moralistic perfection or to earn salvation. Their single desire is that Christ receive the glory he deserves through their transformed lives. They themselves, in the words of Romans, are a living sacrifice laid on the altar before God so that God would receive the sweet-smelling aroma aroma of the the consumption of their lives. Now, my hope this morning is that you're peering into 2023 with all of its possibilities and asking God to help you grow spiritually, that you wouldn't be satisfied with the the end result of 2022, but you would say, nope, I'm moving forward. I'm pressing toward the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I hope that your earnest desire is to look back at the end of the year and see a man or see a woman who has matured, who has grown in holiness, who's increased in faith, who's increased in endurance, who's increased in sanctification. But my prayer is that you won't be motivated by simple self-improvement. Something that the gurus would spit out. See, we're never told, not once, in Scripture to improve ourselves. Never. In fact, we're told to die to ourselves. It's a big difference. This is not your best life now. It's not be all you can be. It's lay your life down. And so... I'm praying for us that we be like John the Baptist who held no lofty opinion of himself but humbly declared, he must increase but I must decrease. Now, I'm I'm not just not praying that you won't do this just in a spirit of self-improvement, but I'm also praying that in doing this and seeking to grow that you won't get caught in the net of religious duty. That we would 
allow the Holy Spirit inside of us to silence the pestilent, legalistic voices that demand that we work harder and do better. May our growth be organic as we draw life from the vine that we love, living in faith as his faithful branches. The life comes from the vine into the branches. May our eye be single. May our only prize be that we may bring glory to the name of the Son as we await the day when he glorifies us with himself. So how can we bring glory like this to the Savior? What are some practical things? There are many of you here today that might want to have a goal of reading more scripture in 2023. We are big believers in that. In fact, if you look on our resource shelf out there, we have little pamphlets to help guide you through a daily reading of scripture. You can start this afternoon and, and read all the way through the end of the year. And that's a good and noble thing. I'm a big believer in that kind of pursuit. But let me suggest to you something. Just throw it out there. Instead of mindlessly or half-heartedly reading the scriptures in order to just check a box, that you get more intentional and get more targeted. What if, what if this year you decided to dig in, and I mean really dig in, to one book of the Bible this year? To dig in to, say, Romans. To dig in to, say, Hebrews. What if you read it through, not once, but over and over again, and even prayed through it, the things that you were seeing? What if you bought some books, some good books, by people who were smarter than you to help you discover the deeper layers within that text, the truth that was being expressed there? You probably wouldn't read as much of the content of the Scripture, but you'd probably get a whole lot more out of it if you invested yourself in a single study. You could also take a single subject, a single doctrine, like the doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of the church, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, any number of other things, and really, really, really searched it out. You are, you know, I almost made an accusation, not you are, but people are arrogant who think that they can master any portion of the Bible by reading through it once in a year. It takes time. There's, it's like being a miner. You dig in, you pull the ore out, you refine the ore, and you get the gold. And so maybe do that instead of trying to press yourself and whip yourself to get through the entire Bible this year. If you do that, that's a good thing to read through the Bible. I'm not discouraging that. I'm saying maybe you do that. Maybe if you're reading through a portion of Scripture, you join with a few of your friends here at church or even outside of church in a small group and, and you discuss the things that you're learning together. And what if you just simply, before you ever opened your Bible, you prayed that God would help you to understand it better, that he would illuminate the text for you? And speaking of prayer, some of you might want to increase the time that you spent praying, but let me make another suggestion as well. Instead of saying, okay, I'm this year I'm going to pray five minutes a day, or I'm going to pray 15 minutes, or a half hour, an hour a day. What if you didn't base your prayer on time limits at all? What if you just threw that out the window? What if you determined to pray every day for every member of your family, maybe three to five people here at the church? What if you chose one of our missionaries and cried their name out to God every single day this year? 
perhaps you could select just one of the many impossible situations in your life. Maybe your health, your family, your job. And determine to bring it before God every single day without fail until you saw the answer arrive. Let me tell you something. We desperately need to reacquaint ourselves with the God who does the impossible in 2023. Amen? We need to know that he hears our prayers and that he answers. And sometimes we make excuses for not praying big prayers and believing God for big things because we don't want to seem presumptuous. We don't want to be lumped in with the word faith people or the prosperity gospel people. No! God says he delights to give good things to his children. Pray and ask the Lord. If it's not for your benefit, he's not going to give it. Don't worry about that. You ask anyway. Thank you. Man, I'm working hard up here and y'all are not reciprocating at all. (laughs) What if you determined to spend a certain amount of time every day praying through a list of things that you're thankful for before you asked God for anything? What if you just kept a running list of, I'm going to come up with 50 things that I can thank God for before I ask for anything. Now, he wants you to ask, but he wants you to ask with a thankful heart. You know, I know that Bible tells us that. Enter his gates with thanksgiving in your heart. What if you prayed verse by verse through a selection of the Psalms while you meditated on the bigness and the awesome power of the God who is hearing you pray? The Psalms were given to you to know how to pray and sing to God. Did you know that? And so they're a great way to guide your prayers. Let me ask you one more question. Do you, do you have friends or family that don't know Christ? Anybody raise your hand? Anybody got friends or family that don't know Christ? About half of you? The rest of you don't know your friends very well? <laughs> what if instead of this year, of, of, instead of making a generic commitment... To witness more. What if you brought the names of the people that you really are burdened for before God every single day as a commitment, as a resolution? Every day I am going to pray their names out to God. I am going to let tears and weeping come for their souls. What if you made a list every month Every month of just two or three people, every month, first of the month, two or three people that you were determined to share the gospel with and begin praying for them and begin creating opportunities to speak to them. What if you began to read books and watch YouTube videos to help you learn strategies and techniques to share the gospel? What if you determined that this is the year you would not let fear keep you from speaking, even if you have to proceed with trembling? Some people wait till the fear is gone to speak up and share the gospel. Can I tell you what happens? The gospel never gets shared. It never gets shared. You got to look your fear in the face like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. March right into the fray and, and do what you've been commanded to do anyway. And guess what? If you keep doing that, it's going to get easier and easier.
What if you, this is where it gets down to the needy-greedy, as Nacho Libre says. What if you asked God, starting today, and every day till you got the question answered, what is my personal mission field? What is it? Some of you are not prepared to hear God say, I want you to go to the Muslim world. I want you to go to Africa. I want you to go to India. Some of you aren't prepared for that, but maybe you should be. Maybe you should stop putting regulations about what God can ask you to do and say, I'm listening, Lord, and I will obey. Tell me. Maybe, though, your personal mission field is your unbelieving parents, your unbelieving children. Perhaps your personal mission field is those vile and vulgar people you work with and have henceforth spent all your time complaining about. But maybe they're the ones that God has put you in that place to share the gospel with. And on that issue of the mission field, the foreign mission field, what if you asked God to send you this year instead of you just sending a check and wiping your hands of the responsibility? What if you decided simply this, never to come to church again, ever, without at least asking one person to join you so that they might be exposed to the gospel? Just one person. What if you, and this is the summation of everything that I'm suggesting here, what if you became so zealous for the glory of Christ Jesus that you would never again, ever, think anything He requires to be too impossible or too difficult? What if His glory in 2023 was your single motivation? How would that Resolution to be committed to the glory of Jesus Christ, how would that change your family? How would that change your work? How would it change your neighborhood? What would it do to your church? What if the Holy Spirit recreated you in such a way that your greatest delight would not be seeing your rights fulfilled, but would be found in losing yourself and losing everything you have for Him. What if your single resolution this year was to obey God as He works to make you worthy of His calling? Would you stand with me? Yeah, I, I think I think if you'll just spend some time in Scripture, it, 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 you know, go with the things that you understand first, like read through the Gospels, read through Psalms or Proverbs. I think that would be be more helpful as you're beginning to read the Bible. So, anyway, you're welcome. All right, let's pray. 
everybody, I, I, I don't do this to manipulate people to make commitments, so don't misunderstand what I'm doing. But I am going to ask this time if everybody would close their eyes and bow their heads just because I want you to be alone with God. That's my only motivation. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands or anything like that, so don't get nervous about that. What I do want to ask you to just to do is, is just like I said, just take a moment and assess spirit, your spiritual life in 2022, the, the highs and the lows, the ways you've grown, the ways you stumbled. Just think about it for a few, few seconds. Be honest with God about the way it ended up. I'm not asking you to to grovel for areas you actually did well in. I'm not asking you to um, to brag about areas you didn't do well in. Just be honest. What would you discern that the Holy Spirit is saying to you that He's calling you? to allow him to make you worthy of your calling. What is it? What is he putting his hand on right now? What's the call that he's calling out to you? Where have you said... That's not my gift. That's not my talent. That's not my calling. I'll go this far and no further. Where is that area? Can you be honest about that? And now I wonder if there's anyone here who would cry out honestly, sincerely, wholeheartedly, that God would do a work in them to make them worthy of his calling and that their lives would be a blaze of glory for the name of Jesus Christ. That in the year 2023, values would change, positions would change, demands would change, expectations would change. And your only expectation, your only demand would be that Christ be lifted high, that Christ be glorified, that he becomes all in all. Look to the Lord and let him guide you. This is the year when you grow, when you mature. This is the year beginning right this moment when you say yes to Jesus. Just say yes to him right where you are. Whatever it is that he's calling you to do, say yes to him. And as you say yes to him, just ask him for the power and the grace that he has promised to provide for you. Just ask him. Acknowledge your weakness, acknowledge your frailty, but more than that, acknowledge your dependence upon him.
Heavenly Father, I thank you for this congregation of people. Lord, I pray with all sincerity, with all earnestness, that this would be their greatest year. Lord, I pray that their work would be blessed, their families would be blessed every other way. But Lord, I pray that this would be their greatest year as they die to themselves, as they experience the newness of you working in them, calling them, making them worthy of the calling they have received by grace. I pray that they would, with endurance, with steadfastness, with faith and obedience, Lord, that they would work hand in hand with you, Lord, to put to death the old man and become a new and living creature because of the gift that they did not earn, that they didn't work for, the gift of salvation that you've given them. Lord, I pray that this word this morning, whatever was said by the power of your spirit, I pray that it would just lodge themselves, it would lodge itself in them, Lord, and that they would ponder it, consider it, meditate on it, turn it over and over, Lord, until they know what you're calling them to, Lord. Pray the same thing for myself. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I could ask our communion assistants to come forward and prepare the tables to serve the elements. I'm excited to once again in a brand new year return to the Lord's table with you to receive the bread and the wine of his body and blood and, and uh, renew our covenant with him once again. And so I want to just ask you so many times, and this has been the case my entire life, this, this is observed so somberly, and it should be sober, but sober and somber are two different things. This is the joy of the church, amen? It's the joy of the church to be invited to communion with Christ and communion with each other, to experience his presence and to um, experience that renewal of the covenant together. And so I just want to encourage you, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, to come with joy and, and thank God that all the things that we talked about today are not left to you alone. If they were, I mean, quite frankly, we might as well be Muslim, just doing all the right things to get the right result. No, we are people who have been, have been washed in a fountain of grace. Amen? And isn't that great? And so you can say yes to Jesus because he said yes to his father. And, and came and, and, and paid the price to, to make you a brand new creation. So you don't have to live like the old creation anymore. And so I just want to uh, ask you, if you're not a believer, and you know that you're not a believer, just stay in your seat. This is not, we're not trying to restrict anything from you or cut you off from sharing with us in this. This would mean nothing to you. It would mean uh, simple, uh, just religious activity. And, and we want your heart to belong to Jesus before you engage in this rite of the, of his body. Um, 
The Bible actually says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that by taking of his body and his blood represented by these elements wrongly, you actually eat and drink condemnation or judgment on yourself. And we don't want that. So just just stay there. Now, if you want to talk to me or Pastor David or Gabriel after the service about how to know that you are part of the family of God, man, we would love to talk to you and invite you to do so. Make a beeline to me. I'll stop whatever I'm doing and talk to you if you want to talk about that for sure. So, But for the rest of you, I'm going to invite you to come and receive these elements and then just go back to your seat and we will take them together in just a moment. Paul writes for us in 1 Corinthians, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the bread together. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's partake of the cup together. Now let's give thanks. Father, thank you for the unspeakable gift of Jesus. Jesus, thank you for your willing sacrifice, your blood that, as we sang earlier, washes away our sin, satisfies the Father's wrath, and makes us one with you, that enables us to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, whereby we can be transformed from glory to glory into the image of Christ. And we thank you for this unspeakable gift. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please place your hands in a receiving position. And I want to read over you this morning Paul's prayer from Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, and that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to Him, who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, To him be glory in the church, in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You're dismissed.